You hear it in the news all too often. The increasing public health concern surrounding vaping. It took us decades to figure out how bad just smoking cigarettes was for you. And vaping is really in its infancy still. Some of those patients end up with really bad outcomes, including death. Which, according to many experts, has risen to the level of public health crisis. The Surgeon General declared e-cigarette use an epidemic in youth. So from that standpoint, it's definitely a public health crisis. Including cases right here in our community. Cases of previously healthy teenagers who came in with significant respiratory distress. They all had been using e-cigarettes prior to presentation. And later, we'll learn about an innovative clinical trial addressing vaping with kids. We do have some kids that are vaping. Can we convince them to stop? We're focusing on the breathtaking risks of vaping. Inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Wisconsin, Freighter Hospital, Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. It's been hailed as a safer way to stop smoking, but federal, state, and local health officials have issued warnings about the dangers of vaping. To date, the CDC reports more than 2,800 cases of individuals hospitalized with serious lung injuries and 68 confirmed deaths across the U.S., all from vaping. If you don't vape, and even if you do, you may not understand the risks and dangers associated with it. So, let's learn more. We first met with Dr. Matthew Stanton, clinical assistant professor in the pharmacy school at the Medical College of Wisconsin and clinical toxicologist and certified poison specialist in the Wisconsin Poison Center at Children's Wisconsin. Dr. Stanton begins by simply explaining what vaping is. Vaping is aerosolization of some product. Doesn't necessarily have to be a specific product that's inhaled. Typically though, it's some type of liquid inside a device that heats and vaporizes it. When we talk about vaping devices, the nuts and bolts of it is there's a cartridge with some product, there is an atomizer for that product, and then there's a battery for the heating element of the product. That's basically the simplistics of the device. Are vaping devices single use? Or are they refillable? Initially, all the products that came out were more refillable devices, but there's single-use devices around. And whether it appeals to a younger demographic as far as concealment or you use it and throw it away and it's better to get rid of the evidence that way, I don't know. But they're found in a spectrum of refillable or single-use. And while the process of vaping is simple, it can cause complex health issues. We'll learn more what some of those are later. First, we asked Dr. Stanton who is commonly vaping today. You know, that's a great question. If you would have asked me a couple of years ago, I probably would have said 
Yeah, it's the younger person, but there's a number of older individuals, too, that have vaped or are currently vaping. Which, he says, might be expected, considering that e-cigarettes were originally intended to be a smoking cessation tool. It would make sense if you think that vaping would be a safer alternative to cigarettes and you've been smoking your whole life. So it's definitely something we see in the older population as well. But while older adults are increasingly vaping, he says it's the availability and concealability of materials making vaping among kids a real concern. I have some friends that are administrators in high schools and they've brought concerns around the vaping issue. And I think it's easier for them to conceal it from their parents as well. In addition to high school aged kids vaping. I would be surprised if it's not in middle schools. We have seen younger demographics of 12, 13 year olds that have vaped. So it's something that could be extending even younger. Sadly, it is. But we'll learn about an interventional clinical trial that's teaching middle school kids about the risks of vaping. That's coming up. Next, we asked Dr. Stanton what's in the liquids used for vaping. He says there's a variety of substances, some you might expect, and some might surprise you. The most common ones obviously are nicotine, since initially it was supposed to be a nicotine replacement therapy. There's essential oils, some have metals in them, nickel, lead, cadmium. We know that some of these can be toxic just on their own, and that could be contributing to the problem going on, or the development of problems in the future. Even the substances that you expect to be in vaping liquids can be dangerous, especially for kids. The most common ones that we'll generally come across as far as poison center calls go are nicotine liquids. For an example, a child gets a hold of one of those. They only need a few milliliters to have some symptoms from that. And there have been deaths reported from the consumption of these nicotine liquids since they're such highly concentrated products. Just how concentrated can the nicotine content be in vaping liquids? A general cigarette might have 10, 15, 20 milligrams of nicotine in it. You take a 10, 20 milligram per milliliter vape product and you put three or four milliliters, which is an extremely small amount, into these refillable cartridges and you'll get as much or more than a regular cigarette just in a few drops. Then there are other things that are introduced into vaping devices by their users. Most notably, THC, which is the psychoactive component of marijuana, could be in the cartridge. You know, even in states where it's technically not legal, they still have crossed into as well for vaping devices. So what was once hailed as an important product for tobacco smoking cessation has resulted in unintended use. Finding an alternative nicotine replacement therapy was the ideal state. But with human imagination, it morphs into the unintended consequence of these products. And unintended outcomes. It took us decades to figure out how bad just smoking cigarettes was for you. And vaping is really in its infancy still. The problems that have stemmed from it have shown that some of those patients end up with really bad outcomes, including death. Dr. Stanton says for adults trying to stop smoking, vaping could be a better alternative if used responsibly and legally. If you're smoking cigarettes and you want to stop smoking, the best thing is to talk to a healthcare professional that is knowledgeable about FDA-approved nicotine replacement therapy. That's probably where we should be steering more people that want to get away from using cigarettes. But remember, while it might be a better alternative, vaping comes with its own set of risks. There's obviously still safe products or safer products because people are still doing it. 
we just don't know the long-term outcomes versus using gums and lozenges and patches that we've been using for a while as far as nicotine replacement. As for kids who are vaping, he says, Don't. I know that's not realistic. So for parents, he recommends trying to have some open conversation around it and not sugarcoating the complications that can happen from it. And if you have questions about the risks of vaping, you can always call a poison center and there's resources that can be utilized to take care of your family. Look for links on our CTSI website, along with the podcast of this show. Now with a better perspective on what vaping involves, let's take a look at just how and how much it's affecting people in our community, especially kids and teens. For this, we had a conversation with Dr. Luella Amos, Associate Professor, Department of Pediatrics, Division of Pulmonary, at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and a pediatric pulmonologist at Children's Wisconsin. We began by asking Dr. Amos if she characterizes vaping and the known health risks as a public health concern or a public health crisis. I would say both. There's a lot of concerning factors about e-cigarette use and the effects on health, but it definitely is a crisis in terms of our youth. The Surgeon General declared e-cigarette use an epidemic in youth, so from that standpoint, it's definitely a public health crisis. In fact, doctors at Children's Wisconsin, including Dr. Amos, were first to see this emerging public health crisis among young vapors. She shares how Children's was ahead of the curve. In late June, early July, we had our first cases of previously healthy teenagers who came in with significant respiratory distress. They all had been using e-cigarettes prior to presentation. So that kind of alerted us because there were five of them who were supposed to be enjoying summer and they were in the hospital needing support and medications. From there, alerts were issued. As the numbers continued to increase, we alerted, of course, the Department of Health Services and they issued an alert. We had our news conference alerting the public. Other states started to report cases and then it spiraled down from there until pretty much the first death in Illinois on August 20th. And today, the number of teen cases continues to increase and spread across the U.S. So to date, there have been 64 deaths in 28 states and over 2,600 cases of lung injury. The lung injury she's referring to is now known by the acronym EVALI, e-cigarette or vaping-associated lung injury. She explains what the symptoms of EVALI are. There are nonspecific symptoms like fever, night sweats, fatigue. And then there are some gastrointestinal symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain, weight loss. So those are the first symptoms that may go unnoticed. But then there are more specific and more severe symptoms of Evali. What brings them to the hospital is the respiratory symptoms, shortness of breath, chest pain, difficulty breathing, unable to do normal activities without having to take a break. When young people come into the emergency department with these symptoms of Evali, Dr. Amos describes what she and her cohorts typically see. When we do imaging, like a chest x-ray, air is black and white is tissue. So sometimes you see white in the lung. There's fluid, there's something that's taking up the space that should be occupied by air. When we get fluid from the lungs, we look at the cells and sometimes we see fat in those cells. Sometimes we see blood in the airways. It's just a very confusing picture, but what we're seeing is not normal. The lungs are reacting to something that is not supposed to be there. And that something comes from vaping. 
So is the physical damage to the lungs comparable to what's seen in the lungs of tobacco smokers? If you look at the airways of adults who've been smoking for many years, there's a lot of inflammation, it's very red, it's very angry, and it's pretty similar to what we've seen in pediatric patients that we've had. The damage to kids' lungs she's seen from vaping is also similar to a condition called bronchiolitis obliterans, also known as popcorn lung. The main concern came in workers who worked in a popcorn factory. There's a chemical called diacetyl. It's part of the buttery flavoring in popcorn, and you're able to eat it. It's safe for oral consumption, but once it's aerosolized, it's dangerous to the lungs, and it can cause that bronchiolitis obliterans, which is essentially a progressive lung disease that's irreversible. So patients should expect a decline in their lung function. In fact, some vaping liquids do contain diacetyl. So is popcorn lung related to Evali? It is one of those things that we are looking at. It's not the only chemical in the e-liquid. It's one of many chemicals that could be causing the lung disease that we have seen, so it's sort of a potpourri of problem. What's specifically in the process of vaping is the culprit. Is it the chemicals? the heating of the chemicals? We don't fully know. We don't understand how the damage has been occurring in these lungs. An e-liquid contains various chemicals. And then there's, of course, nicotine. You could have people using THC in these e-liquids. And then when you thermally degrade them, you really don't know what they produce. There are byproducts that could be very dangerous to the lungs. For example, when people have looked at the aerosol that is produced by e-cigarettes, they have seen in the urine of patients nicotine, heavy metals, volatile organic compounds, essentially acetone. Also, they have seen in the aerosol heavy metal particles, volatile organic compounds, nicotine. Something else commonly found in vaping liquids, vitamin E oil also known as vitamin E acetate. The CDC has done extensive studies. What they found was that 94% of patients with Evali had vitamin E acetate in their lung fluid. 0% of patients who did not have Evali had vitamin E acetate in their lung fluid. So there was a significant association of vitamin E acetate in the lung fluid of Evali patients. So while it may sound harmless, maybe even healthy after all, it's a vitamin, right? In this context, it's not. Vitamin E is in a lot of topical lotions, so you can use it topically safely. I mean, it's a great antioxidant when you take it as a vitamin by mouth, but when you thermally degrade it, kind of like everything else we're talking about today, the pulmonary toxicity is unknown, and it seems like it's actually not a very good thing. Dr. Amos also dispels the notion that only vaping liquids containing nicotine are problematic. There's one study that looked at the effects of vaping with and without nicotine. And so this study showed there's a marker that is released into the blood and it was elevated about 30 to 60 minutes after vaping, a device with nicotine and a device without nicotine. So whether or not it contained nicotine, there was this inflammatory marker in your blood. There's more. The second thing they found was that there was a decrease in oxygen tension, so the oxygen levels went down 30 to 60 minutes after vaping with nicotine and vaping without nicotine. So with or without nicotine, e-cigarette use has some effect on the lung within 60 minutes of using it. So vitamin E oil, no vitamin E oil, nicotine, no nicotine, it begs the question, is there any safe way to vape? I would say no. To say that e-cigarette use is safe is false. How long does a person need to be vaping before they face risk of Evali? The patients that we saw in our hospital had a range of time in terms of how long they had been vaping, the amount they had been vaping, and what they had been vaping. 
there's also probably some underlying characteristics of them that we don't know about that may have predisposed them to the lung injury. So it's very hard to say how long it takes for you to develop this lung disease. But is it conceivable that someone could injure their lungs the very first time they try vaping? Based on that study, yes. I mean, you're definitely affecting the lungs within 60 minutes of inhaling. You can recover as long as those patients stopped vaping and their oxygen levels returned to normal. But the more you do it, the harder it will be for the lungs. Eventually, they will succumb to the damage. Something else Dr. Amos and other medical experts have learned about the dangers of vaping. We really haven't seen this degree of acute lung injury with combustible tobacco. We know that long-term use of traditional cigarettes is really bad. There's nothing worse than that. But we've never seen this degree of acute lung injury in patients when they first start smoking cigarettes. And one more concern about vaping among kids and teens. You know, besides the lung disease, one thing that we definitely worry about is that it's a gateway device that could lead to the use of illicit substances. You know, they're already vaping THC. Those are the health risks we worry about from a pediatric standpoint. As Dr. Amos told us, there have been deaths caused by Evali. Fortunately, to date, I don't believe any deaths have been in Wisconsin, so we're very fortunate from that standpoint. Still, for the teens who have Evali, is the damage to their lungs reversible? At follow-up, our patients have improved, especially if they're able to stay away from the products. Now, that's another concern is that it's easy to relapse. I would say that they're not back to their baseline before e-cigarette use. People who have been athletes in the past are probably not going to be able to do that anymore. And so there are residual effects. For those who do recover from Evali, there's a quality of life they can have, but it is a new normal. They're not on oxygen, they're able to go to school and things are better, but it's different, yes. Dr. Amos says e-cigarettes were developed for a purpose. But today, they're ending up in the wrong hands. It was initially marketed to help with smoking cessation, but unfortunately, people who have been using them are those who've never smoked a cigarette in their life. E-cigarette use in children is absolutely unsafe. We don't know everything about the effects of e-cigarettes on the lungs and on the entire body. It took decades to find out what cigarettes did, and I think we're repeating history. And for any kids who might be listening, whether you haven't vaped yet, or if you're thinking you might try it. Don't do it, don't do it. Because right now we have a huge population of kids that are addicted and they're struggling to quit. Take it from an expert. While vaping is creating a serious public health risk, there's an interventional clinical trial that's teaching young kids about the dangers of vaping in a creative way that's both informational and fun. Let's learn more from Kayla Pierce. Thanks, Brian. Dr. Kimberly Hefia is a research scientist at the Yale School of Medicine's Center for Health and Learning Games, where we focus on developing and evaluating video game-based interventions with the goal of reducing risk and promoting healthy behaviors, social good, and education. Within the center, she directs two labs, the Play to Prevent Lab, which focuses on the development and evaluation of traditional game-based interventions, web-based games, your 2D games, card games, and the Play for Real Lab. And that focuses on the development and evaluation of game interventions using technologies like virtual reality or augmented reality. It's this lab that has developed an interactive virtual reality game called Invite Only VR, hoping to teach kids the risks and consequences of vaping. Invite 
Inside Only VR is a vaping prevention game using virtual reality that focused on vaping prevention, and it uses voice recognition software, which allows the player to practice refusal skills in real time. Preview Labs, they're a game prototyping company. They were our partner in the development of the game. Today, the game is being played and tested in a clinical trial being led by Dr. Hefia. What we're wanting to do is test the effectiveness of the game. We want to see if playing our intervention can have an impact on their attitudes, intentions, harm perceptions, self-efficacy, and behaviors related to vaping. So, who is participating in this interventional clinical trial? We are working with the Milford, Connecticut School District, and we're working with three middle schools focused specifically on 7th and 8th grade, ages 11 to 13. Why were middle school-aged students selected for participation? An estimated 28% of high school students are now currently vaping, and unfortunately about 11% of middle school students are now reported e-cigarette users. So we're going to start with middle school students. How many students are participating? We have 285 teens enrolled in the study. Next, we learn more about invite-only VR. First, Dr. Hefia explains that it's developed to be played using an Oculus Go virtual reality standalone headset device. Our study is funded by Oculus Education. It's developed for the Oculus Go. So you sit and then you have the full 360 degree environment. So you can sit and look around up and down and then you have a laser pointer. Okay, virtual reality headset, laser pointer to click on interactive things, got it. So, what happens in the game? You are a character named Mike, the freshman in high school. His entire goal is to get invited to this party, but the problem is it's going to be very hard for you to get an invite. All right, so you've got to impress the cool kids at school. Then what happens? So what happens is as you're playing, the player is pressured a lot from the friends to get that invite. And so he has to put himself in awkward positions where there's vaping involved. She describes one of the peer pressure situations in the game. The player that's throwing the party, he sneaks out of class to vape in the bathroom. So the player follows him and I don't want to vape, but I still need to be cool around this senior because I want him to invite me to this party. So in this situation and others throughout the game, students learn ways to handle situations situations where vaping is involved. When he first starts, he really doesn't have a lot of confidence or know a lot about vaping and the harm concerns and doesn't have a lot of the skills to refuse. The player keeps going back and replaying the same day and gaining new powers along the way. So by the time they've gotten all the powers, they're able to crush it, right? Right. With the hope that kids make the right choices in winning the game and winning at life. They can use the knowledge that they've gained to correct their peers, and they can practice the skills and learn how to refuse risky situations but still kind of feel like they're saving face. And because invite-only VR is interactive, remember the laser pointer? There's lots of interesting things to click on. Along the way, you're also going to learn about social media and learn about tobacco companies, tactics that they use to persuade young people to use their products. And then with the voice recognition software, they get to verbally practice those skills to refuse characters. There's something else in the game that kids can click on. Another video game within the game, she explains. In the game, they gain points, and they can use those points in a fun mini-game called Space Cats. It sounds silly, but it's great because it gives them a break from all the learning, and it also encourages them to pay attention and score well so that they have more time in the mini-game. Dr. Hefia explains that this is a controlled trial with two groups. 
First, there's the experimental group, which are the kids playing invite-only VR. We would have kids do a pre-survey, so they would answer some questions around their attitudes, intentions, social norms, behaviors around vaping, their knowledge. We kind of got a baseline of where they were before they played. And then they play the game. It's about an hour and a half, two hours. Some kids like to take their time thinking and responding to the answers. They take breaks when they need to. The goal was to ensure that the kids were able to complete the game. And this usually took about two or three class sessions. By the way, playing sessions are closely monitored. After all, these are middle school kids. We come in and have each kid play, and we watch them there. We help them if they have questions. So we controlled the headsets coming in. We controlled how much gameplay they had and controlled access to the game. Then after playing the game, the students in the experimental group are surveyed again. They're post-survey. It's the same questions that we asked at the beginning to compare to see what they might have learned and exposure to the VR game. And then three months later, ask them questions again. And then at six months, we'll go in and ask those same questions again because we don't see behavior change quickly. So we want to see what we could capture over that time period. Only half of the students are in the experimental group. The other half are the control group, which means for them... We call it treatment as usual, which means this is just the normal exposure to vaping education that they would get perhaps in their health class. So half the kids are playing the game, and then the other half are just collecting data from, and they're not playing the game. So their participation in the trial is doing their regular classroom work, and then... You just come in and they take surveys at the same time as the experimental group. But if you're concerned about fairness, Dr. Hefia assures us that... At the end of the year, after we're done collecting our data... We'll stick around and ensure that all kids get exposure to the game. This is something that is useful and educational, and we don't want to walk away and not provide something to them that could be beneficial. Considering the young age of participants, is it challenging to get them to understand that the game is scientific research? Kids are very smart. We remind them that data that we collect on them is confidential and anonymous. They had a lot of good questions about that. Like, is my teacher going to find out what I put? What are you going to do with this data? If I don't like it, can I quit? Kids are understanding research much earlier. We get some really great questions from 11-year-olds. It was amazing. What about teachers and parents? Teachers were all on board. Teachers recognize that there's just not a lot out there right now in terms of vaping prevention, and they know it's a problem in their schools, and they're wanting something to help. And for parents, sometimes you get a little pushback from parents if they didn't really understand why we felt it was important to talk to kids about vaping this early. But for the most part, we had terrific support from parents and the community. What kind of feedback is Dr. Hefia hearing? Do kids like invite-only VR? Kids had a lot of great stuff to say. We've honestly gotten tons of positive feedback. We've not really had to push kids hard to play. One interesting finding so far is the class many students don't want to miss in order to play the game. Physical education. An 11 and 12-year-old PE is their favorite class of the day, and they look forward to it. So we did get some pushback from kids because they were upset that they were going to be missing their physical education, like actually getting to be active. Dr. Hefia says there are primary outcomes she and her research team are looking for, including prevention of vaping among kids who haven't started yet. Since we're following kids over the course of their school year, we want to see if those kids that played our game compared to kids that didn't, are they less likely to initiate the use of e-cigarettes? So that's really what the game is trying to do. Stopping vaping among those who have started. We do have some kids that are vaping. Can we convince them to stop? and measuring the impact the game has on kids' behavior related to vaping. What impact did it have on their attitudes towards vaping? 
their intentions to use vaping. So if they're still not using, and maybe they thought, yeah, I might vape, if we can shift those intentions, if we can increase their knowledge around harm perception, their self-efficacy, if they feel more confident that they could refuse a peer, those were the kind of things that we were really wanting to look at. Assuming the game is successful, as an intervention tool, what could next steps look like for invite-only VR? I'd like to see it expand beyond just the Oculus Go and get that on other headsets. I'd also like to consider moving this to a web-based game so it can be played on a computer for kids that don't have access to a VR headset. And then I would like to see more in there around vaping and marijuana use. One thing she's certain of is that it's an exciting time in research because of technologies like virtual reality. What's cool that we've maybe one of the first teams to create something that's health prevention focused in a clinical trial using VR. I'm really excited about that, and I think there's so many ways that we can help teens in terms of making good choices, and I'd love to see more research and innovation being done in the area. As Dr. Hefia mentioned, invite-only VR is a free download on the Oculus website. We'll post a link to that on the CTSI website along with the podcast of this show. And that's a positive way to wrap up this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Our sincere thanks to today's guests, Dr. Matthew Stanton, Dr. Luella Amos, and Dr. Kimberly Hefia. I hope you've discovered something by listening to today's show, and I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. Make an appointment on your calendar and join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, along with Kayla Pierce, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing you happier, healthier days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to the podcast of this or any of our shows online and on demand, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. You'll also find it wherever you listen to your other favorite podcasts. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.